0: And now, it's Talk Law Radio with Todd Marquart.
1: Welcome to Talk Law Radio with your host, I'm Todd Marquart. Decisions about your future can be difficult, but at Falcon Bank, their trust department can make planning for tomorrow a positive experience. From estate planning and administration of trust to investment management, including real estate and mineral management... Falcon Bank offers solutions with an honest evaluation of what you need. Call Falcon Bank at 210-489-4150 to discuss how they may be of service to you. Now it's time to discover your legal issue blind spots by listening to me talk about the law on the radio. The State Bar of Texas is the state agency that governs attorney law licenses and the State Bar wants attorneys to inform the public about the law. But, because legal advice must be tailored to the specific circumstances of each case, and laws are ever-changing, material discussed in this program is meant for general informational purposes only and is not to be construed as tax, legal, or investment advice. Although the information has been gathered from sources believed to be reliable, Please note that individual situations can vary. Therefore, the information should be relied upon only when coordinated with individual professional advice. Before we get started talking about the law, let's begin with prayer. Dear God, thank you for this day and for all the gifts and blessings that you give to us. Please forgive us for our sins, for our mistakes, for doing the wrong thing and failing to do your will. Please help Attorney Karen Douglas seal and me give good information to the listeners about special education law today. Help us use the gifts and talents you have provided for the good of your people, for our own good, and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Karen, how are you today?
2: I'm doing fine. How about you?
1: I'm well. Thank you for joining us. Uh, We'd like to Tell our listeners about special education law today, but first, uh, tell us about your educational background.
2: Okay, I started out uh, many years ago, <laughs> uh, wanting to teach children with special needs. My uh, area I really wanted to work in was teaching blind students because I had worked with blind students uh, previously as uh, in high school, you know, transcribing Braille and using things that had to do with, uh, you know, different manipulatives and things that had to go along with blind people. I continued that in in college a little bit. But then I just uh, wanted to get into um, a program, uh, and there was nothing in San Antonio for the blind. So I met June Grant over at Trinity University, and she said, come and join my program for the deaf. You'll love it. And so I went in to her program for the deaf, and it was pretty much an oral program where they taught uh, children like they do at Sunshine Cottage to speak. There was no sign language involved. Um, they tried to work with them on their speech until they got to be about twelve. but at any rate i i did well, did that program, but then when I finished, I also noticed that there was a lot of behavior problems with not using sign language, so I went back and picked up my advanced sign language, and I got to do a lot of summer programs and other second jobs because I could interpret for children with disabilities or for adults with disabilities. Then I I went to to teaching with the Regional Day School for the Deaf and taught deaf children. I taught uh, deaf-blind children. I've taught, uh, in fact, I taught deaf-blind children at the School for the Blind in Austin, because I did have, you know, both areas mm-hmm. that I understood. And um, then I uh, went from there to saying, after I taught for a few more years in the deaf program, Regional Day School for the Deaf here in San Antonio, I went uh, back to uh, school and said, I want to get a master so I can help teachers learn to teach. Mm-hmm. And so went back to school and uh, got a master's degree in supervision and curriculum, Tried got into administration, and I finished up my time in the school program and, um, as an administrator, as a supervisor. And I really enjoyed it. And part of the time, even before that, I, I forgot to mention that part of what I did was um, for about 10 years of the time I was working as an administrator and as a teacher, I was working with the Medina, uh, was actually the Hondo Special Education Co-op And I was teaching kids how to go to work.
1: Okay, so so independent living skills.
2: Yes. And I would work with them on how do you develop these skills. And then later on, I got into a supervisory position where I was going from district to district and helping the teachers learn the skills to teach these kids to work. And some of my kids are still working to this day. But then I really thought, you know, okay, I'm doing administration. Um, I really like it. But we're still not getting the things done we need to do. So I decided to apply to law school after I did education for 20 years.
1: Oh, wow. Second career.
2: Yes, but the career is still the same, special education. Mm -hmm. I wanted to be able to help the kids. And I also had a director at one point that uh, used to say, well, don't you quote the law to me. And it was so (laughs) much fun to be able to say, you don't mind if I quote the law to you. Right. So, um, but I've enjoyed it, and I've enjoyed working with the schools. I enjoy uh, going into the different schools, not so much now because of COVID, because we're doing all our meetings by Zoom. Right. And I actually like that, too. It just, it means, it misses that, you know, that feeling that you get with people. Um, to, and being able to talk to them directly and look them in the eye and try to get a feel of what, you know, their body language I mean, is telling you. But so I
1: don't think you said it yet. You went to St. Mary's for law school, right? I
2: did, yes. I went to UTSA to get my master's, and then I went to uh, St. Mary's to go to law school.
1: And then when you finished, did you just hit the ground running?
2: I hit the ground running before I finished. <laughs> I had I was doing advocacy work for different people. And, uh, in fact, I had one child that uh, was in high school, and her mother came to me and said, oh, you know, my child can't read and they're doing all these accommodations but they're not teaching her to read mm-hmm. you know they'll they'll read it to her everything and you know finally we just said okay let's why don't we teach her to read we don't do that in high school let's do it anyway yeah and so they actually develop, put her into a program when that uh remediated Students who didn't pass the tax or the teaks or whatever, mm-hmm. it was not the teaks, but the STAR, whatever it was in those days, it's been 20 years ago. Right. And uh, then they've developed a program, a reading program, and a lot of children actually benefited from that. So, you know, and you try to be as nice as you can, as polite as you can. Always, if I go into a school, I want them to know I'm not there to do anything other than get what the child needs.
1: If you're just joining us now at nine thirty AM, the answer, this is Talk Law Radio with your host Todd Marquart. We're interviewing attorney Karen Douglas Seal, who is a special education and school law attorney here in San Antonio. And we're going to be talking about what school law is and we'll talk about the challenges that special education has. Uh, regarding the uh, COVID changes. And uh, if we have time, we'll talk about uh, juvenile justice and special needs children. And uh, if we have time after that, we'll talk about guardianship and special needs trusts as well. So, Ms. Seal, you mentioned before graduating from law school, you served as an advocate. Yes, sir. What exactly, how are, how are you using that term?
2: Um, we have advocates that go into the schools, who work with um, the school. Just You have the right, as a parent, to take anybody into the school with you.
1: A I, helper, a friend.
2: Uh, yes, but I highly recommend a trained advocate. The uh, qualifications in Texas... We'll talk
1: about the qualifications when we come back. Again, this is uh, Todd Marquart with Talk Law Radio. And if you have a question about school law or about special needs education, give us a call. We're taking live calls today at 210-308-8867. That's 210-308-8867. And we'll be right back to talk about what it means to be an advocate in special education. Stay tuned.
3: You've heard him on Talk Law Radio. Now work with his firm yourself. Marquardt Law Firm is the go-to firm in San Antonio for wills, trusts, and powers of attorney. Want to have a say on who will get your money and assets when you die instead of leaving it up to a judge? Then you need a proper estate plan in place, and Marquardt Law Firm can help you do just that. It can also develop a strategy for your long-term care financing and help maneuver the complicated Medicaid process for your family. Call them today to schedule your no-cost legal consultation. Call 210-530-4278. Again, that's 210-530-4278. Protect what's yours with Marquart Law Firm, com.
1: Welcome back to Talk Law Radio. This is your host, Todd Marquart, and we're here interviewing attorney Karen Douglas seal about special education and school law and She was about to tell us what the qualifications are to be an advocate.
2: Okay. Unfortunately, and this is one of the things we're working on uh, with the legislation and the new legislative session that's coming up, the qualifications for being an advocate, to go into schools, to advocate for parents and for their child in the state of Texas is you must be breathing. Oh. (laughs) So anybody can be an advocate. Which sometimes works to people's real disfavor. I've had people that have actually gotten arrested on campuses (laughs) for not knowing what they're doing. Right. So I think it's really good to have the training. They're
1: just screaming and hollering and not saying anything, not using the right words.
2: And or just not knowing the law. Mm -hmm. And an advocate needs to know what the law is.
1: And so you as an attorney, of course, are qualified to do that. Do you do that from sunup to sundown?
2: Something like that, yes. (laughs) (laughs) We do a lot of advocacy.
1: Are there enough attorneys in Texas to cover this field?
2: Not near enough. We have about 12. Throughout the whole state that you've met? Yes. Well, we actually have uh, national conventions uh, where the attorneys, the parents, and the advocates get together Mm -hmm. with an organization called COPA, which is a council for parents, attorneys, and advocates. So we do meet the people from Texas. We do talk to them. We have an email stream we keep up with and talk about what's happening in your area, but we don't have near enough. And then there's advocates, and we have more advocates and attorneys, but we still don't have enough.
1: Well, if they wanted to get involved, they could get involved with that organization and go to a conference or do some online learning maybe.
2: Yes, definitely the conference is great. Uh they have good information on their website. Uh, I try to g- try to give information as par- as people need it and I've been I started a class on to train advocates and had a group. And then COVID hit. Oh. So we haven't gotten back to it. We need to do that through Zoom now.
1: mm mm-hmm. Mhm. And part of The advocacy is for the Individualized Education Plan, IDP, is that right?
2: The IEP, yes.
1: IEP, okay.
2: Yes. And so can I kind of describe the population first? Yes. Would that be okay? Yes. And the laws that they fit under because that's going to be real important when we get into the IEPs. Yeah, please do. Um, So the children with special needs fit under two different laws. One is Section 504 of the Civil Rights Act. And the other is um, the um, Individuals with Disabilities Education Act. And the um, what, 504 is just you, you're providing an accommodation. For example, like under the Americans with Disabilities Act, mm-hmm. which also can play into here, you're going to have ramps. You're going to try to provide – you're going to make, you're gonna make the camp, campus accessible to children. You're going to maybe provide, maybe microphones, you might provide head headphones, you know, for kids that have uh, special needs or need to cut out sound. Um, but those children, as long as you're not changing their education, as long as they're getting the same education as everybody else, they would fit under Section 504.
1: So they could be in the same classroom, but maybe have headphones or a microphone or something like that.
2: Yes. Now, if you have to change, modify the curriculum, if you actually have to do something to make it different from everybody else's, maybe water it down a little bit, maybe work on behaviors at the same time you're working on the general education curriculum, then the child might fit under better under the Individuals with Disabilities Education Act. And those are the children we consider to be in special education. Now and
1: I, wanna... I read that that law actually started in 1975 but back then it was called Education for All Handicapped Children Act. That's correct. And it, it it's updated form is IDEA and that stands for what?
2: Individuals with Disabilities Education Act. Okay. And that was uh modified again in 2004 and before that between <laughs> between 1975 And the, uh, I think it was 1990 was IDEA, but I'm not absolutely Mm -hmm. sure there was uh, 94 142. And we all walked around in special education talking about 94 142. Um, So it was a number that was just kind of burnt into our mind. Mm -hmm. So we, but that had to do again, all the way through has been with modifying the curriculum, changing the curriculum. And so those are your two populations and they they make about eighteen percent of our students, okay. sometimes more, sometimes less depending on the uh, on the district mm-hmm. and also how hard the district it, although they are required to do child find to locate these kids, how many they actually identify so sometimes some districts do better, some schools do better
1: and sometimes the parents are self-disclosing that they need help their child isn't doing as well or maybe they're they're worried that uh, they can't read and the other kids are reading but other times it's got to be up to the teacher or an administrator to to find them that's part of the law
2: very definitely and they're required to find them i did i had a situation a couple years back at one of the call local colleges here where one of where a young lady was admitted her parents had no idea, it, through all the years she was in special education, that she really wasn't qualified to be to going to college. I mean, she had like a well, I have to say, like a IQ at about the about in the fifties somewhere.
1: And is that low?
2: <laughs> that's, is that low? That's kind of low. Yeah. Okay. Most of the time, college students are going to have close to at least an, an average IQ, and that's way lower than average. Mm-hmm. Average would be about a hundred.
1: Okay. And so she needed more help.
2: Yeah, uh, she didn't make it through, and they couldn't. They didn't even understand why. So even if you get that far along and you still don't understand, you know, you need the school to be involved to help pe- educate parents mm-hmm. to help them realize what the child needs.
1: Okay, and that's part of the individualized education plan.
2: That's correct. Then what they what the schools do is once a year and it can be more at the request of the parent or at the request of the school, they have an annual ARD meeting. Texas is the only state. Um, what is ARD? State. <laughs> yeah, I was going to tell you. It's okay. an admission, review, and dismissal committee meeting. So they decide whether they're going to admit a child, review their program, or dismiss them. From the, the program. From the program, okay. from special education. Now, we are the only ones that call it that. In the rest of the planet, or the United States, it is called an individualized education plan meeting.
0: Oh, okay. So
2: you're developing an individualized education plan at in Texas, an ARD meeting. Mm-hmm. But if you're uh, anyplace else, you're doing it at an IEP meeting, which is much simpler.
1: Okay. Well, if you need help with your meeting, like you don't think that, you got what you needed, then that's when you bring in an advocate?
2: That's correct, an advocate or an attorney. If you're looking at litigation or if you think they're really not listening or you've tried an advocate and it's not working, if you bring an attorney, the district has to bring in their attorney. Mm -hmm. And they don't have to, but they do. And so then you're talking attorney to attorney, and very often that gets things done just because the attorney can then go back and say, you know, guys, school you need to really realize this is the law this is what you're supposed to be doing
1: right okay so that's just an informal conversation between attorneys at that point
2: yes and then we sit through the meeting and we kind of help them develop the program and we hope that once they develop the program it's a it turns out to be the program the child needs but if it doesn't it can be tweaked
1: we have a caller uh jennifer and sharon Okay, Jennifer, Sharon, you are live on the air on Talk Law Radio. How are you?
2: Wonderful. Hey, Karen. Hi. (laughs) Good morning. You have
1: a question? I do. Uh,
2: I'm getting lots of requests from parents about what kind of. modifications do we need for our uh, kids with ADHD as they're working from home? They're having a hard time. <laughs> I'm getting those questions, too. Uh, children with ADHD, as you know, that means that they have, they tend to be hyperactive. So you've got a child who's um, driving the school crazy a lot of times, um, but they have this attention deficit, so they're, it's hard for them to concentrate. That's the AD part, and the hyperactivity disorder, um, and it's, they're very hard. Parents go crazy. I've had when I was teaching, <clears throat> I had children with um, ADHD, and it is it's difficult because you've got to get them to focus, and you're trying to get them to focus with a group of kids in the classroom. So. Parents do have a lot of questions that are having a lot of difficulties. So
1: part of this would be the law requires the school to accommodate, you know, how can we uh, help them learn even though they have these issues, and and how do they use Zoom or the video conference. (laughs) Uh, Have you heard of any of the solutions that have been tried?
2: Yes. So let's try number one. You cannot, as a school, recommend that the parent take the child to the doctor and get medication. That's against the law. Oh, really? So if, uh, you, you could probably say, you know, there are some medications that could be used, but I'm not recommending that um, and be careful about that. But the other problem though, is that you, you have to then develop a behavior plan that will help that child focus. Uh, things uh, modifications that you can do are cut out the distractions. Make sure the radio's off. Make sure the TV's off. Make sure their computer is not going place except for where it needs to be. Uh, make g- Develop really small units at a time or teach for five minutes. Let them get up, run around. Teach for another five minutes. Let them get up and run around. Just make sure they understand that after they're running around time and you've designated how long that can be, that they come back. There's actually... Um, a uh, brilliant uh, principal. I think he teaches principals now. Um, and um, with uh, Northside, who said if he had a ch- if he had children with ADHD that he was teaching, that's exactly what he would do. He'd put them in the, the carols so that they're not they can to see nobody else, keep them away from each other so they can't play with each other's feet or you know, kick mm-hmm. each other under the table or just do something to distract themselves. And every five minutes... They would run, and then they'd come back, and they'd focus again on something for a few minutes for what they could tolerate.
1: So those are great suggestions that you're making, but isn't it the, the school or the school district that's supposed to accommodate? Yeah. Or they're supposed to be giving this training?
2: But Yes, but what if the parents, are, the parents are at home, and they're trying to figure out, what do I do? Right. And they don't want to put their children in harm's way, They'd like to see, see the child at home. So they're really torn. So this is a good question, Sharon. Um, they're really torn because children with ADHD can be a real handful. And I've heard from a lot of parents saying, I'm going to send them back, but I can't send them back. But this is what I really want to do. And so it is, uh, it's, it's a difficult, but you can break up the program.
1: Jennifer, Sharon, thank you for calling. Thank you for the question. Thank you for listening to Talk Law Radio on 930 AM, The Answer. We are going to take a short break, and when we come back, we will talk more about uh, the IDEA and special education. Um, There's a Supreme Court case, and there's uh, federal regulations that require school districts to help out. And this is a time when special education students need help because of the pandemic. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Talk Law Radio. This is your host, Todd Marquardt, and we're interviewing attorney Karen Douglas seal about special education and school law. And we have a caller who has a question. Jesse, you're on the air. Talk Law Radio. Good morning.
2: Yes, thank you. I wanted to ask a question. Um, my
0: mother, she helps tutor some special ed children, and I was curious about if she had any legal concerns if the tutoring goes wrong. For
2: example, if the children don't get the grades as expected from her help, uh, would the parents have any way of uh, bringing lawsuits against my mother So for failure of helping their education succeed? I think the answer to that, honestly, is that anybody can bring a lawsuit, whether or not it's frivolous or not, is a different story. There are no laws saying that a tutor has to produce certain results, and the fact is there are some children that are not going to learn to the expectations that you have, and there are some students that are going to far exceed that. You don't know. Everybody's individual, and... I don't think that would be able to hold water if someone brought any kind of a lawsuit. But like I said, there's, someone can bring a lawsuit. It's whether or not it would be successful and whether there's any law reinforcing that. And there is not.
1: Thank you for calling. Thank you Thank for you. listening to Talk Law Radio. Okay, Karen. Well, that brings up a good question about um, how students are learning during this pandemic and how special education students are learning. What are some of the issues that you've come across?
2: Well, one of the big things that I've come across is that a lot of the extra programs that they provide for these children, like speech, like occupational therapy, like physical therapy, are nearly impossible to do virtually. Some of the districts, like SAIST, have said, okay, we're going to start bringing in the more severe children early. Mm -hmm. and working with them. Now, let's talk about more severe children. People have preconceived notions of what special education is or what these children are. Mm -hmm. They think of people in wheelchairs or they think of children with Down syndrome. They don't realize that most of these children are going to kind of blend in. They're going to have some learning problems, but they're going to blend in. But the ones that are really severe that need to be changed, that need to be fed, that need to be touched because you have to do physical therapy and mm-hmm. you're dealing with a lot of uh taking chances with the people that are the adults that are working with them and with the child are so these
1: th- parents even used to doing their children's education they they're probably had their kids in school for a very long time and got used to having uh specialists working with them
2: that's true, and since all of it has been done by the school, the parents would say, "Well, at night, you know, they need to just rest or whatever." But let me tell you, we should have been providing much more parent training up till now, because when the parents left to their own devices or following what the pa- what the teachers telling them, are having a tough time, especially with children that are very severe. One of the problems that we run into is them. They're saying, "Well, how do you teach?" bathroom skills and I'm going hey I got an answer that's easy (laughs) you've got a bathroom Mm
0: -hmm.
2: have the teacher get on the computer and walk the parent through it Mm -hmm. teach them how to do what they need to do and a lot of the parents already have that but the ones that don't and I've had one parent say well they kept telling me in high school they didn't have showers for the kids and I'm going you've got a shower now Mm-hmm. Have them walk you through it. What are the steps? And everything can be broken down into small steps. And you teach a few steps at a time, and, you know, it can be done virtually. It's just a lot of work. And you're talking about all these other kids they've got to be providing services for. Right. So you're talking a lot of hours to do that. That's one of the um, the different services that's very important, and it's very hard for uh, – to do and that's, that's just a, happening
1: and that's okay if the parent has a good laptop computer with a camera and uh, doesn't have <laughs> to go to work and has high speed internet right
2: and there's parents that don't know how to use them we had um what a san antonio isd and no criticism of anybody here um they took computers to all these you know parents the little laptops the Chromebooks, bo- or the mm-hmm. ipads and i had, we had parents that would call me saying i don't know how to use this i've never been i've never had to do this before and the school saying well we've taught you we've taught all the children how to use they all know how well some of these children have special needs mm-hmm. and they don't know how to use it so you're giving them a tool without the training so we need to be giving them the training and then you've got parents that are working and you have parents that are working long hours. And you have schools that are not that are bringing parents they're bringing the children in, but the parent the sorry the staff doesn't have the PPE that it needs. They don't have the mask, the gloves. They have right. the mask, but they don't have the gloves, the the uh, the tops, whatever they need, the booties for their feet to work with some of these children that are one on one, you've got to do everything for them.
1: Yeah, so, I heard that uh, the, the school districts were bringing back some of the special needs students um, to do those things that are more difficult to do over the virtual learning. Yeah. So that's good. Um, if if they're having trouble, I guess they could call one of these meetings, right, and and say my student isn't getting the, the required uh, assistance that is required by law, and then you have that meeting, right?
2: Yes, and you have the ARD meeting, and you sit down and you talk, and you try to work out what needs to be done. One of the problems that we've run into, and, you know, there's good and bads of everything. I've seen some people really do a fantastic job i have a grandson who has autism he is going to be a senior well, he is a senior because school year started right and he loves it he loved the whole time of being uh, doing his work he'd get it done in three days he's got a you know four-day weekend mm-hmm. he's happy and he's learning not learning social skills which is what he needs right. but he's learning the material because this is a good way for him it's it, without all the stimulation Without all the people running down hallways, he's being successful. Some kids can do that, and they're really in, they're really going to flourish with virtual learning. There's other children who are very social who actually need that social interaction to learn.
1: And so, if you're just tuning in, this is 930 a.m. The Answer, and I'm your host, Todd Marquardt, host of Talk Law Radio. We're here with Karen Dalglish-Seal. She's an attorney and advocate for special education students in school law, and we were talking about how difficult it is for special education students to learn over a Zoom video conference. And just to give you an idea of the the range of um, special needs that some of these students have, uh, I found a list on the Texas Education Agency website Um, There are some uh, just general supports. We talked about that maybe with uh, microphones or – and then there's uh, autism, those with sensory impairments, maybe with visual or hearing problems, those with uh, behavioral or emotional disabilities, uh, dyslexia, uh, some people with uh, mobility problems some children who need uh, a specialist in school psychology, uh, some who need a speech-language pathologist, some who need occupational therapy and physical therapy. Can't really do that over a video conference, um, but they have been training parents via <laughs> video conference on how to do some of those things.
2: And like I said, some of it I've seen very successful, some of it not so much. But there's another topic we haven't even hit on that I think is really important for getting kids back into school. And okay. that's, that's the HVAC systems or the heating, ventilation, and air conditioning systems. When you consider that some of these buildings in like Edgewood, San Antonio ISD, Southside, are very old. Mm-hmm. And you try to retrofit them, it's and try to get the systems so that they're that they're not carrying the virus.
1: So they're trying to put air L filtration systems and in the air conditioner.
2: Yes, and they have to really have what they call MERV thirteen filters. Um, and some of the older systems can't even handle those uh, filters. So Northside's got it. Uh, they seem to understand, and they're really working on it. I don't know if you read in the newspaper the other day with the Alamodome that they're going to redo the whole thing. Well, we're going, okay, if you can redo their whole HVAC system, mm-hmm. we, then you can do it for the schools. But you've got to consider how old some of these buildings are. You've got you know, SAISD has some of the oldest buildings in San Antonio. How do you make them safe?
1: Well, they've got to figure it out because that's part of the – the federal law that we talked about and so we'll come back after this break with uh, more information about uh, special education uh, children with special needs Uh, we'll touch on juvenile uh, justice law and when guardianship and special needs trusts are needed or wanted so stay tuned with talk law radio
3: heard him on talk law radio now work with his firm yourself marquardt law firm is the go-to firm in san antonio for wills trusts and powers of attorney want to have a say on who will get your money and assets when you die instead of leaving it up to a judge then you need a proper estate plan in place and marquardt law firm can help you do just that it can also develop a strategy for your long-term care financing and help maneuver the complicated medicaid process for your family call them today to schedule your no-cost legal consultation call 210-530-4278. Again, that's 210-530-4278. Protect what's yours with Marquart Law Firm, com.
1: Welcome back with your host, Todd Marquart. This is Talk Law Radio, and we're interviewing Karen Dalglish-Seal, an attorney here in San Antonio. We've been talking about school law and special education. Karen, what happens if a parent feels like they're not getting the services for their children that are required by the law? What remedy do they have?
2: They have the remedy of going to a, they have a couple of remedies. One, they can write a complaint to the Texas Education Agency, or they can have someone else do it, like an advocate or an attorney. They also can do what is called a due process hearing which is like a trial, but it's administrative, or I'd say more like Social Security. It's an, it's an administrative process, and where you file a lawsuit, but it goes to t- the Texas Education Agency. The Texas Education Agency then assigns a hearing officer. That hearing officer gets in touch with the parents and um, and with the attorney that filed it, or in some cases, an advocate may file it. Not something I recommend, but it can be done. And you go through an act, the process of an actual lawsuit, and you hope that you you settle it with mediation, because like any lawsuit, you get to the end of it, and
1: nobody's happy.
2: Nobody's happy. <laughs> yeah. Or or yeah. Nobody's going to be happy because of the money, and nobody's going to be happy because one side wins. Mm-hmm. And if you know, and then you know, the parents are going. Well, what does this mean? You know, I didn't, I don't, I didn't get what I needed, and you told me we might be able to get that. Well, yeah, there's a might there. We are, mm-hmm. We're going to, we're trying our best. We do what we can, but we try never to get there. If you can get it settled in mediation, or even make a step forward in mediation, you know, take what, you know, take something, and then you can still keep going. You can still, you know, fight the thing, little battles as they come along, but fight the battle that you need to fight.
1: If somebody listening today needs that kind of help, can they contact you?
2: They can. Um, I have a, they can contact me by email, and I'm you know Karen at kclaw dot. Uh, sorry, uh, just you know Karen at kclaw dot com, and uh, they can uh, ask me about what's you know a, a, an issue, and I'll be glad to answer. I get a lot of parents will say, well, I'll be glad to pay you for. If it's a simple question, I'm going to give you an answer, and I'm not going to send you a bill. But I'm going to send you a bill if it gets to be something complex, or if we get into some kind of litigation, and we hope not to.
1: Something that goes beyond school would be the juvenile justice system. How how can a student with special needs um, navigate the juvenile justice system?
2: Actually. Uh, the juvenile justice system or the juvenile courts and detention are in SAISD in San Antonio Independent School District they do have ARDs I've attended ARDs there they do have education they do have an individualized education plan that will continue through while they're in um, while they're in juvenile which is a good thing gives gives the kids things to do too Um, the biggest problem we have is that we have behavior plans for children who have emotional disturbances, and unfortunately sometimes people kind of lose their patience and the child ends up over at juvenile. Sometimes it's really inappropriate. I have a lot of kids that are, will be sent there several times and the courts keep going. We've tested this child. No, this child is not fit to proceed. They lack responsibility. So that's like a
1: competency hearing of sorts.
2: It's exactly like a competency hearing, yes. And if it comes back saying that they're not that they can't go forward, all that's going to happen is that your tax money gets spent, and the child goes back to the school. And the next time the child does something instead of following the education plan, they're liable to send them back to court.
1: So that should be in the plan that the, this child. Uh, has behavior problems that sometimes uh, get the law involved, and there should be an alternative remedy to yes. uh, juvenile jail time.
2: There, there should be, and there, and and there generally is. I mean, most of the time, uh, unless these are children that understand what they're doing and understand it's not, it's not what they're supposed to be doing. Like, if there's a connection at the school. When they have an ARD meeting and they say there is a connection between this behavior that he did and um, you know, and what he did. then mm-hmm. you say, okay, you can't punish him for that behavior. You can impose consequences, but you can't punish. Mm-hmm. So you're not going to send that child to juvenile, hopefully, although anybody can press charges. So if it's an aide or somebody and they say they want to press charges, they still can. But if there is no connection, like how do you connect some, a child with a learning disability to a theft mm-hmm. that might be a big step to try to connect, or how do you connect someone um, you know who doesn't have a behavior issue that has to do with assaultive behavior with an assault
1: so it's not a a blanket excuse for no. bad behavior
2: no, it is definitely not, and they 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 end up in alternative school from time to time, they end up being punished but the the problem is that A child is not getting positive behavior reinforcement. If if I'm not telling you you're good, then you're going to go for negative. I'll take attention any way I can get it, you know. I'm not being noticed Mm -hmm. uh, for good behavior. I'm getting noticed for bad behavior, and that happens a lot.
1: What happens when these uh, children, whether they're in uh, school or juvenile justice, turn 18? What happens then?
2: Uh, special education goes through age 21, uh, the year that they're going to be turning uh, 22. So they can stay in school that long. A lot of them don't want to. I mean, if you have a learning disability or you have, uh, you've got the material that you would be be learning in school, master the TEKS, then you're going to go uh you don't, you're going to graduate.
1: The law would presume that if they're 18, they're an adult, right? Or it the, would presume that. the age of majority.
2: It does presume that. And we have a lot of complications that show up at that age because they have the right to make their own decisions. Now, what happens then is the school will tell you that. They will tell you that for usually a year or two before the child turns 18. At 18, we don't have to invite you, the parent, to the ARD anymore. Oh, we are going to invite your child they 're going but well, my child's laying in bed drooling i don't they can't mm-hmm. you know we can 't do that, and then they' don't, still don't get that guardianship you've got to get a guardianship when the child turns eighteen if they are not competent to make their own decisions
1: so that 's the legal process where you get a judge to say that the child is substantially unable to make his own his or her own financial and health Decisions, so they need a guardian to continue making those decisions, even though they might be over the age of eighteen.
2: Yes, and then they can make they can make the decisions through school. You can also do things like power of attorney and put in education. Education and has to be added to okay. that power of attorney because the regular power of attorney doesn't have it.
1: So the the child can sign a power of attorney unless some judge or some physician maybe has said that the child is uh incapacitated
2: they can but um the problem is that unless a judge says you're incapacitated you're not legally incapacitated mm-hmm. so you're playing with you're playing with fire i think it's better to go ahead and get either a power of attorney and have their agreement a contract with them if they're able to understand the contract, this is Mm -hmm. what you're going to do, or get guardianship. And if you need guardianship, it can be a limited guardianship. You don't have to say, I'm going to take away all your rights. I have a young man whose parents are my clients out in Divine. He drives to work every day, gets up and goes to the sheltered workshop. He drives his wife to work every day. He lives behind his parents' house, they do, in a little mobile home so they can help and they are, is you know, kind of acting and being, are living a normal, what we would consider a normal life.
1: But they probably need help making decisions.
2: Yes, and so the parents are right there. And they mm-hmm. have the guardianship, so they can help them. But they're also giving them the right to live as independently as they right
1: can. The right to drive, the right to get married. Yes. The, maybe even the right to vote yes okay so let's say uh we have a guardianship um but we're getting older and um we haven't figured out how to beat taxes or beat death yet so we know someday we're going to pass away how can we make sure that our, our disabled loved one is taken care of financially
2: one of the best ways is by putting the money that you have instead of Handing, giving it to the child or to the adult at that point um, is to put it in a special needs trust. A special needs trust protects the money. That money can be used for anything that Social Security doesn't pay. So if that adult is on Social Security, you've got a special needs trust there. Mm-hmm. They want to take a class, they want to buy something. That money's there for them, but they also have the Social Security. The problem is if you take away that Social Security, you're also taking away their health insurance. Mm-hmm. So you've got to be real careful that you put it in a special needs trust, that you talk to an attorney that does special needs trust, and you find out what the ins and outs are and what the consequences can be.
1: Yeah, what I tell people is Social Security is for food and shelter, and the supplemental needs trust is for everything else like education, enrichment, entertainment, and Um, That way that they can keep it separate in their mind. And if you're just going to leave an inheritance, it can work the same way so that the inheritance doesn't cause the beneficiary to be disqualified from government benefits. And the biggest one being the the Medicaid health insurance. Mm -hmm. Because if they get disqualified, then they spend all their inheritance real fast and they don't have a safety net of funds to pay for those extra things.
2: And that's happening right when you're dead and you can't help anymore as a parent. You can't step in. Mm -hmm. So it needs to be that you set it up correctly.
1: Plan ahead.
2: Yes, definitely.
1: Okay, so I'm going to ask you one more thing. This is our last segment, the last minute. Um, We like to ask about legacy because uh, Marquardt Law Firm sponsors the show and We focus on wills, and trusts, and estate planning. What's a legacy that you've learned something from, or what's uh, the legacy that you want to leave? One minute.
2: I'd like to leave a legacy of training more advocates to get out in the schools. I would like to have a program that trains them here in San Antonio, and that every school has advocates that can show up, help parents, and take care of the parents' needs. that relate to their child with special needs.
1: That sounds like an awesome legacy. I I think that with some help from community leaders, you could probably get that done. Thank you for joining us today on Talk Law Radio. Uh, Next week, we're going to have a recorded episode. Again, it'll be the Game Warden. Uh, It's dove season, and I'm going dove hunting, so the Game Warden will uh, be on next week to talk about The hunting laws in regard to dove hunting and deer hunting. So we'll be back.